0: Assess. Welcome to Greek Like Me, the podcast about all things Greek, for Greeks, Hellenophiles, and anybody who's interested in learning about other cultures. I'm your host, Pamela Diotiswood. wood Email us at stealthgreek at gmail.com to share comments, questions, and stories about Greeks, Greekness, or your own ethnic background. Today is part four of a series on actor, activist, and advocate for Greece, Melina McCourty. She spent the Nazi occupation and Greece's civil wars focused on her career and the privilege she'd always known. Politics and activism were her grandfather, father, and brother's arena. On April 21, 1967, that all changed. In our last episode, Melina and husband Jules Desson had just achieved what they'd worked so hard for. Their play, the musical adaption of their award-winning movie Never on Sunday, made it to Broadway as Elia Darling. I still don't understand the name change. Critics were lukewarm, but the public was happy and for 11 days, they lived the dream. Then Melina got that call that Greece's democratic government had been overthrown by a military junta, the Colonel's coup. Overnight, Greece went from democracy to military dictatorship. Of course, it's not that simple. Books have been written on what led up to the overthrow of the government. Here's the cheat sheet version. Greece had a very fractured government in the aftermath of World War II and the Civil Wars and was still struggling to address its many problems along with the infighting. George Papandreou became prime minister in 1964 by a landslide vote. He began a program of social reforms beyond anything that had ever been done before, including educational reforms and increased spending on infrastructure he was openly opposed by King Constantine II and the ultra-conservative ministers in the government. Constantine ultimately dissolved Papandreou's government in 1965, replacing him with a succession of politicians from his own party, considered turncoats by its members. There had been right-wing plots to destabilize the government, so there had been rumors swirling around for years. When the 1967 elections came around, it looked like the people would vote again in majority for Papandreou. Any pretense at democracy ended when the colonels took control of the government and the media on April 21st, 1967, with the support of the crown. Persecution of anyone disagreeing with the military regime began immediately. Papandreou, his son, and most of the ministers of parliament, both left and right wing, were imprisoned. Big surprise for the right wing, but that's how dictatorships roll. 10,000 people were immediately imprisoned. Doctors, lawyers, university professors, students, economists, artists, union members, the typical Joe on the street, Ioannis on the street. There was torture, execution, and deportations to prison islands. Yeah, they turned some of the islands into prison islands. The Greek reporter in their article, April 21st, 1967, said, Freedom of speech ceased to exist. The Hunter controlled the newspapers, radio, television, any and all forms of communication. Back in New York, Melina had a show to do. She'd signed a contract. But her world had come apart. Her mother and brother Spiros were with her in New York to celebrate with her. But Stamatis Makouris, Melina's father, was in a London hospital for medical treatment. He called from there and told them, there were tanks in the streets of Athens. Spiros had left his family behind in Greece to see his sister's Broadway debut. This is how sudden it was. The Makouris family were members of the Greek government. They were members of the cultural elite and hadn't expected it. There had been no time to prepare. Stamatis, who happened to be a longtime conservative politician, made phone call after phone call from his hospital bed, setting up the first opposition committee against the colonels. According to Molina, he was the first member of the Greek government to speak out against them at a press conference from London. Well, most of the others maybe have already been in jail, and speaking out from Greece might not have been the best move for anybody. Spiros risked arrest if he returned to Greece. The family convinced him to wait. His wife was a British subject. There were channels she could go through to protect her family but it took another year before she and her three children were able to escape. And what about the Greek people who didn't have the wealth or international connections to help them? They suffered. Papandreou believed the Greek people would take to the streets and protest. Melina wrote in her memoir that everyone sat waiting for it as the constitution of Greece was suspended. But the average person in Greece was powerless. Families and friends had already disappeared. The entire army was behind this. Anyone could be next. The immediate rules sent up by the hunter were, anyone in the street after sundown would be shot. No one was allowed to withdraw money from the banks. People stocking up on food would be condemned as saboteurs. All schools were closed. This was followed by the proclamation of the siege, which stated arrests and detentions would move forward without due process. Entry in search of any building or private home could proceed without warrant or warning. Any gathering, public or private, this is in your home, was forbidden and would be dispersed by force. Strict censorship on all business and personal letters would begin immediately, and phone calls would be monitored. At first, Melina kept quiet about the hunter, except among friends. She continued to perform in Ilya Darling. But within days, she saw in the Daily Papers from Greece that the dictators were using her name for promotions for tourism for the happy face of Greece. She said, It drove me mad that pictures of me were prominent in Junto newspapers with stories celebrating my success in New York. I was being used as a publicity agent for the colonel's regime. She later said it took her 40 years to take an interest in politics. The coup is what woke her up. She got permission from the producers of the play to speak out against the junta on stage. But before she had the chance, she was interviewed by a reporter on the day her mother and a son were leaving New York to visit her father in London. The reporter asked if Americans should travel to Greece. Melina said, if you sail to the Greek islands, knowing that some of them are prisons where people are tortured, then go. If you want your dollars to support a fascist regime, then go to Greece. The reporter came back with a camera crew to get her to say it all over again. Her words put her family at risk, but she hoped that her mother's brother would protect her mother. He was still a highly respected admiral in the Greek Navy. Desan and Mrs. Makoudi were able to visit Melina's father and a few months later attend his funeral. He never returned to Greece. Melina said in her memoir, I was born Greek, It was sheer torment to go on playing Ilya, darling. I had to sing and dance and symbolize the joy of Greek life when Greece was ruled by court-martial and torture. She continued to speak out in interviews and from the stage. She was applauded in New York and Europe, but soon the phone calls started, threatening her the colonels had started defending their dictatorship as a necessity to protect Greece from a threat from the north. That's what they called it, the threat from the north. The insinuation being communist armies were ready to march on Greece, like Bulgaria, which played on the opposite side in World Wars I and II. But the USSR ran the show in Eastern European communist countries. And although the USSR denounced the coup, they did a pretty healthy business with the colonels, so I call mouskaka. According to Molina, a number of Greek Americans seemed persuaded there was a communist plot to take over Greece. Everyone in the West was fearful of communists during the Cold War. Some of the Greek Americans who'd welcomed her, Molina says, now called her traitor and communist. I don't honestly know how many American Greeks felt this way. My family was deeply anti-communist, but not one of them supported the coup or believed for one minute that that's why the colonels created the coup. They were as outraged as Molina. And my family, they were still fans. But without the easily manipulated, coups would never be attempted. Think January 6th. Research librarian Eduardo and I looked into the threat, And everything we found pointing to the impending communist invasion was pure propaganda. The Junta knew exactly how to trigger fear and pander for support. Leftists and conservatives alike condemned the Junta. After visiting his father-in-law in in London, Desan was able to get into Greece briefly to check on friends and Spiros' family. The Greek papers, the Junta-controlled papers, announced he was there to make a film. More propaganda. Their friends were afraid to meet with him. He was told not to say anything in front of cab drivers or waiters, some of whom were presumably reporting to the junta. In 1967, Melina won the Outer Critics Circle Award for Best New Personality in the Theater, and she gave that speech from the stage against the junta. And according to realgreekexperiences.com, she instantly became a symbol of Greece and a heroine resisting against the dictators. In August 1967, King Constantine II snuck into the U.S. to attend a U.N. meeting. Those are Melina's words. Word had gotten out about the meeting and Constantine's attendance, and Melina went to a large demonstration against him in front of the U.N., and she was interviewed by the many newspapers and TV stations that were there. Next day's New York Times headline read, Melina upstages Greek king at U.N., This was another slap in the face of the colonels. King Constantine himself, the man who made the coup possible, eventually decided he wasn't happy with how things were playing out either and approved a counter coup in December that year. It failed, and he went into exile in Rome. One of the junta instigators, Brigadier General Patakos, made himself regent in Constantine's place. One day soon after, Melina's brother was contacted by the FBI. They had information there would be an attempt on Melina's life at the theater at that night's performance from the audience. Melina remembers in her book being so rattled, so fearful, and she remembers the support the cast gave her by standing near her instead of in their usual spots. But she was especially shook about her solo, She kept thinking she made the perfect target in that spotlight. Her solo was usually the showstopper. That night it was a disaster. There was no assassination attempt, but not a lot of relief. This son of a bitch had not only scared me to death, she said, he had also ruined my best number. New York police began escorting her back and forth from the theater until it became too expensive for the city then son hired a bodyguard. She describes the bodyguard as smothered in revolvers and persistent. It was all I could do to get the door of the toilet closed. Patakos, the self-appointed regent, announced Melina's Greek citizenship had been revoked and her property confiscated. Melina's famous response was, I was born a Greek. I will die a Greek. Patakos was born a fascist, and he'll die a fascist. She said soon after, Melina is a Greek buttons popped up all over New York City, which is awesome. We're still trying to find one online. After a year and a half, Never on Sunday closed on January 13th, 1968, because of flagging ticket sales. Melina and had hoped it would go on, but she said later, acting was my life. But for the first time, my mind and heart were elsewhere. The 1968 Tony Awards nominated Never on Sunday for Best Musical, and Melina for Best Actress. Desan was nominated for Best Director, Manos Hadidakis, and Joe Darian were nominated for Best Original Score. Ironically. Melina and Dasan lived in New York and Paris during her exile. She recorded four popular albums in France, three in French, one in Greek, all composed by Greek musicians, she made a few more movies, acted in plays, and as she traveled the world, she appeared at rallies, marches, hunger strikes, and concerts to support the resistance. According to the Melina McCurdy Foundation, she spearheaded a media blitz against the junta, meeting with world leaders and making public appearances in a relentless campaign for the international isolation and fall of the colonels. She kept it up for the duration of her seven years in exile. She said during the war, World War II, I failed the test. Not now. I will fight the junta until I die. On February 17, 1968, a month after Never on Sunday had closed, Molina and Design were interviewed by Studs Turkle on his radio show on WFMMTFM in Chicago. We have a link in the episode notes and on the website if you want to give a listen. Melina shares with Terkel her grief over the junta's decree to forbid the annual memorials on Crete for Nikos Kazantzakis, whose novel *Christ Recrucified* had been produced as a film by Dassin at the beginning of his relationship with Melina. Kazantzakis would have hated the junta, and they hated him. On Terkel's program, they also announced that a few days later, on March 24th. Molina would be a part of a presentation of the auditorium in Chicago to raise money for the families of political prisoners in Greece. During the interview, Turkle asked them why they're doing the unsafe thing in speaking up. Dasan answers, insisting fascism is the unsafe thing, quote, the safe thing is to keep the American democratic ideal, unquote which wasn't good enough for the American government back then because they recognized the junta as the legitimate government of Greece. Nice. Former Secretary of State Dean Acheson told American newspapers Greece needed authoritarian rule. Really? Molina's response in a speech at a luncheon for the Women's National Democratic Club in Washington didn't go over well when she said, It is his, Acheson's, honorable judgment that the people of Greece are ignorant and backward and not ready for democracy. For those who continue to be confused by the anger of the world against America, this is why. This has happened repeatedly in our history. We deserve democracy, but others don't because we know how to do it. The last couple of years called that thought into question, but we have the right to straighten it out for ourselves, democratically. And Greece should have been given that chance. We have plenty of ignorant and backward Americans, but they have that right too. I'll get into the European and American belief that modern Greeks were no better than animals with no relation to the great ancients when we drop our episodes about the Parthenon marbles and immigration to the U.S. in the early 20th century. And currently, according to some folks, it'll amaze you what you'll hear. Desan hired speechwriters to help Melina with her many speaking engagements. She said she knew she was a novelty, good press as an actress calling out the colonels. But she felt she was speaking out where others couldn't for fear of their lives or their family's well-being. She spoke at a reception at the House of Commons in England on April 20, 1968, and laid a wreath at Greek Revolutionary War hero Lord Byron's statue on the anniversary of his death. According to the Daily Mirror, at the same time in Greece, a British Member of Parliament was to lay a wreath with Byron's words on it I dreamed that Greece may yet be free. And he was detained. The wreath was removed. New York Times backed it up. It happened. Many popular musicians and composers had been jailed and their music banned in Greece, even in private homes. Mikis Theodak- Theodorakis, the immensely popular composer who wrote the score for Phaedra and Zorba the Greek was in hiding when the re- regime, quote, forbade the people of Greece to buy or listen to any of his music or be arrested. He recorded a protest song while in hiding about freedom for Greece and smuggled a tape out to Molina in New York. The day Molina received the tape, they heard on the radio that Theodorakis had been arrested. She sang it for years in the U.S. and Europe. Melina was named a traitor by the Greek Tourist Board and Reformed Actors Union in Greece expelled her for anti-Greek activities. She and Asan were labeled communists by National Greek Radio. She says in her memoir that when a close friend was arrested, she was visited by an ambassador of the regime and told if she'd stop her interviews, we will let her go. When she spoke in Brussels, she reports right-wingers smashed the windows in the auditorium. They were removed and she gave her speech in full. Desan, meanwhile, was accused of smuggling bomb-making manuals into Greece with plans for the regime to try him in absentia. This series of events was confirmed by a New York Times article from 1970. Did he? He belonged to the Democratic Defense, which did try to undermine the Greek military government with bomb-making manuals, But it was never proven Dasan was part of that, according to the U.S. Air Force Air Command and Staff College. So, hmm, I wonder. Melina wrote her memoir, I Was Born Greek, in 1971, and the military regime was still going. Her activism and their retaliation was still ongoing. Multiple articles I read referred to a speech Melina was giving in Genoa. A member of the committee who arranged her visit did a microphone check and noticed a wrapped package edging out from under a drapery that covered the rostrum. Thinking it was a gift for Melina, she handed it over to the doorman, who happened to be an ex-World War II partisan. His suspicions led him to alert the police and the bomb squad. They were able to remove and detonate a bomb that had been under the rostrum where Melita would have been stationed as she spoke. She says... They calculated that the explosion and resulting panic would have killed at least 200. It was set to go off five minutes after Melina was to begin speaking. She gave her speech from a secure room with speakers arranged outside for the crowd. Bruce Clark, in his epic history, Athens City of Wisdom, acknowledges Melina's impact during the military regime. He says, Melina during the junta years had transformed her image from glamorous film star to fiery political warrior. Greek News Agenda says, Melina McCrory embodied the Greek ideal of freedom and raised awareness abroad about the suffering of Greece. Clark wrote down one of my favorite anecdotes about Melina at this time. She said she hoped modern wars would end as they did in Lysistrata. Lysistrata was a Greek comedy by Aristophanes where the women in the play make the powerful warmongering men stand down by organizing a sex strike. Very Never on Sunday. You gotta love Melina. By now, President Nixon was finagling to send arms to the colonels by way of the U.S. military in exchange for a base. Nice. Meanwhile, the regime was rewriting history books. Gee, that sounds familiar. The Red Cross was denied access to prisons. The military now controlled universities, Greek theater, and the church. And of course, they were totally incompetent. But with Molina's help, many governments were shamed into isolating the colonel's. A group of American congressmen, senators, religious leaders and actors formed the United States Committee for Greek Democracy. Committees worldwide put pressure on the regime. The Greek people began mass protests. They had enough and many were killed, but life was already hell. Their fight against the regime only got stronger. In 1974, the junta turned over the reins of the government. Democracy was restored! No, it's not that simple, but this episode is about Molina. We'll save the details on the military regime's rise and fall for another day. The day the regime fell, Molina was besieged in her Paris apartment by friends and well-wishers, according to the New York Times. She told the paper, I'll learn my real value when I get home. I'm just a nothing actress, an exile. She wasn't sure what her reception would be. She traveled home on international refugee papers because she still didn't have a passport. The Washington Post said of Melina, Miss McCurry, who eloquently denounced the colonels, withstood threats on her life until the army junta was overthrown in 1974. Within 48 hours, she was back in Greece and something of a hero. The Greek people didn't forget how she'd spoken up for them all over the globe. She was welcomed with love. Melina returned to the Greek stage when she got home, including Three Penny Opera and her second turn in Sweet Bird of Youth, and she played Greek tragedies, including Medea. She filmed her last movie in 1978, A Dream of Passion, a Greek production, and her last film collaboration with Dassan, And then she retired as an actress, focusing all of her attention on her country. At the same time on her return, she was a founding member of PASOK the Pan-Hellenic Socialist Party, which became the new majority in the Greek government. She was a member of the Central Committee, which she reported to on cultural affairs. She ran for parliament that year. The non-political, decadent movie star lost by a slim majority, but took the seat by a landslide in 1977. She represented a working-class district in Piraeus, which is Swede. She worked hard to improve the streets, the schools, and the sewage facilities. No glamour here. She worked on the problems that faced her district. And the Post said the self-described girl from the right side of the tracks became a fiery feminist and socialist. From 1981 to 1989, she was named Minister of Culture and Science in three successive socialist governments, and again in 1993. She was the first woman to hold such a prestigious and powerful position in the Greek government. And it was through that position that she again became a force on the world stage of politics. One of the first things she did was open her office once a week for people to come in and talk to her. Especially in since she was appointed, not voted in. She didn't have to please constituents. She wanted to. The Washington Post says in this leadership position, she delivered on her party's pledge to abolish censorship. According to the Melina McCory Foundation, she also commissioned a study for integrating the historic sites of Plaka and creating a pedestrian era to travel through it. Douglas John and I enjoyed the fruits of this labor in April. She created a system of free access to museums and archeological sites for all Greek citizens so they could both be educated and have access to their culture. My ma enjoyed this perk on her trip to Greece in the 80s until she was caught out. She was eligible for Greek citizenship, as am I, but hadn't taken the leap. Since EU membership, Greece was required to drop their Free for Citizens program. Ah. Melina organized a series of exhibitions of Greek culture and modern Greek art on all five continents. She pushed legislation to protect and restore important historical buildings throughout Greece. She pushed for the creation of regional municipal theaters to bring ancient and modern Greek plays to the provinces. She succeeded in getting legislation to restore the Acropolis monuments. No more neglect. She started the modern campaign for the return of the Parthenon marbles. That's huge. She fought for women's rights and equality worldwide. And in 1989, she backed the Thessaloniki Byzantine Museum project the largest Greek museum built in the 20th century, and so many other projects to protect and promote Greece's heritage. She was making up for all those years of ignoring and avoiding the needs of Greece. And she was making a huge difference in the lives of of the people of Greece and in how the world viewed Greece. She also fought hard to make sure Greek history and culture was taught in the schools. For her efforts, she was called and was depicted nationally as the last Greek goddess. Posters of her image were hung in museums, at the entrance to the Acropolis, everywhere. In 1985, she worked with the French Minister of Culture, and she spoke fluent French, to create the European Capital of Culture, where different European capitals were recognized and their culture celebrated annually. She made sure Athens was the first named. The Melina Macquarie Foundation says her international fame and appeal brought her in contact with the great European leaders, and she never missed an opportunity to promote Greece or to promote European culture in general. The EU on its website says of Melina, her achievements as Minister of Culture transformed her country. They praise what she'd done for Europe, saying, as the Cold War ended, And the Iron Curtain was destroyed. Mukuri was a leading instigator of the European Cultural Initiative which launched in 1990 and focused on Central and Eastern European countries in particular. She was bringing them in. She was for inclusion and sharing and celebrating each other. She told the EEC ministers of culture that culture is the soul of society, that the European identity quote lays in respecting diversity and creating a living example through dialogue that culture, art, and creation are no less important than trade, economics, and technology. She said, let us make it possible for children in their schools to know, to love, and to appreciate the cultures of the entire world. One of her greatest accomplishments for Greece was her unrelenting fight to have the Parthenon marbles returned. In brief, between 1801 and 1805, a creepy little Scottish diplomat named Lord Elgin tore apart the Parthenon, as well as other monuments around Greece, and packed multiple ships with the spoils. When he found himself in debt, he sold the marbles and friezes to the British Museum, which has made one excuse after another for keeping them, including insulting the Greek people as incapable and lacking incompetence. So, boo Elgin, boo the British Museum, and the British government that allows us to continue. You'll get your own multi-part series. Melina verbally beat the crap out of all these entities. But when your country is more powerful, you win. Melina started her campaign for the Parthenon marbles in 1982 when she put in the request for their return at the UNESCO Policy Conference that year. And she was the first politician to do so in Greece. She said, Lord Elgin was guilty of vandalism. He took possession of archaeological treasures to decorate his country home in Scotland. True, I've seen his letters. She went on to tell the world, you have to understand what the Parthenon marbles mean to us. They are our pride. They're a tribute to democratic philosophy, They're the essence of Greekness. They are our soul that we want to have back. UNESCO is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. It met that year in Mexico. She said the marbles and other historic items taken from all over the world must be returned to their country of origin, must be reintegrated into the place and space where they were conceived and created, for they constitute the historical and religious heritage, the cultural patrimony of the people who gave them birth. She campaigned as hard for the return of the marbles as she had for the overthrow of the military regime. She gave impassioned speeches and occasionally snarky newspaper and television interviews, which are my favorites, usually when confronted with the patronizing tone of the elitists of Britain and America. The New York Times interviewed her in an article titled Q&A with Melina Makudi, that's how they spelled it, Greece's claim to the Elgin marbles. Melina's first comment, you mean the marbles of the Parthenon. In England, at the Oxford Union Society, a prestigious presenter of debates for 200 years, Melina said, there are no such thing as the Elgin marbles. She thanked the British committee for the restitution of the Parthenon marbles for their support. There has always been a sizable contingent of Brits for returning the marbles to Greece, even in Elgin's time. Melina said in her speech, The words pillage, dilapidation, wanton devastation, lamentable overthrow, and ruin are not mine of the moment. They were spoken by Elgin's contemporaries and they were. She goes on to pick apart every argument of the British government and the British Museum for keeping the marbles. She ends by saying, we are asking only for something specific to our identity. They are our pride. They are our sacrifice. They are the essence of Greece. We say to the British government, you have kept these sculptures for almost two centuries. This was 1986. It has now been more than two centuries. You have cared for them as well as you could, for which we thank you. They actually inadvertently destroyed some with ignorance and incompetence. She said, but now in the name of fairness and morality, please give them back. She was well known for challenging and embarrassing the director of the British Museum over the marbles. Good on you, Melina. Have at. In London in 1993, Molina had a public meeting with Sir David Wilson, a former diplomat, a British administrator, later to be governor of Hong Kong, and Lord High Commissioner of the Church of Scotland. So, hotshot. The meeting was filmed, and Molina went at him over the return of the marbles. Sir David said on film, You will ruin the British Museum. Molina's response, I don't want to ruin the British Museum. I want my marbles back. They are part of the monument. It's a unique monument. Sir David's argument was, there are many unique monuments. What the actual Skata... Clark says, quote, On behalf of a country that felt misunderstood by the world, she had sallied forth and compelled powerful men to take her seriously. As a challenge to scholars and curators in distant lands who purported to be the gatekeepers of Hellenic culture, she proposed a different version of Greekness and done so with passion, flirtatious charm, and an unmistakable throaty laugh. Melina was relentless in her demands for the return of the priceless marbles of the Parthenon. She was widely quoted saying, I hope to see the marbles return to Athens before I die but if they return later, I will be reborn to see them. Forty years since she started her campaign, we are all still waiting and still demanding the return of the Parthenon marbles. Melina was actively involved in the women's movement and spoke eloquently on behalf of women at the same UNESCO meeting in 1982 where she advocated for the return of the marbles. And just as passionately, Quote, women still represent an oppressed population, and I am profoundly convinced that one of the first duties of people concerned with cultural affairs is to fight for the humanitarian and democratic qualities of modern societies by giving women their due place in those societies. Beyond the initiatives we've already listed, as Minister of Culture, she also established annual literary prizes, she promoted Greek theater. The Melina Macquarie Foundation says she sought to link culture with education at all educational levels by creating a new system of post-training of teachers so that in all subjects, cultural references would be included in what was called education through enjoyment. She held an international design competition for the new Acropolis Museum for the protection and restoration of the remaining important statues and other components of the Parthenon and surrounding monuments. She supported the Athens bid to host the 1996 Olympics, commemorating the modern Olympic centennial in the place the games were born. Atlanta won the bid. Clark says that in 1989, the Greek government was in turmoil again, causing Melina to step down as a minister and run against an old party colleague for mayor of Athens. The other candidate won by a slim margin. And took to the stage for a while, performed in plays. In 1993, she was reinstated as Minister of Culture. But she held the position for only a year. Melina had always been a heavy smoker and was diagnosed with lung cancer. She began chemotherapy and was unable to work more than a few hours a day. In February 1994, she left for New York City for treatment wearing the colors of Greece to give her courage, according to Clark. She died on March 6, 1994 at Memorial Sun Kettering. Greek Air Force fighters escorted the Olympic Airways jet carrying her coffin to Athens Airport. A cortege of 30 vehicles led the hearse on a journey along the attic seashore to the city center past throngs of people. Her coffin lay in state next to the Cathedral of Athens In a Byzantine chapel called Little Metropolis, formerly known as the Chapel of She Who Is Quick to Hear, one of the many names of the Mother of God. After the funeral service, her coffin was placed in the Cathedral Square for a 10 gun salute from Mount Lykavitos. She was the first woman in Greece accorded three days of national mourning with military and religious honors equal to a prime minister. The Athens city council passed out flower petals to the public gathered at the square and along the route to toss over a coffin as it made its way to the first cemetery. Melina was buried in her famous red dress, which real Greek experiences identifies as the one she wore during her anti-dictatorship days. At her funeral, Prime Minister Andreas Papandreou, whose father had been Prime Minister before the Colonel's coup, said, "'We mourn a woman who through art and her struggles made her name indistinguishable from Greece itself. Movie theaters across Greece closed in tribute. Hundreds of Greeks left packages of her favorite cigarettes, Asos, at her office at the ministry. LastFM.com claims hundreds left packages of cigarettes at her grave. I mean, that's what killed her. Either way, Clark says Melina's funeral was undoubtedly the most passionate send off which modern Greece had ever given a woman. Streets across Greece were named for her. Her statue was erected across from Hadrian's Arch. There's a Melina Macquarie cafe near Plaka in honor of her and my deepest regret is that we didn't get there while we were in Athens. It's described as an old timey bistro dedicated to her. There's lots of pictures of her on the wall. We added a link. Melina Macquarie Day is celebrated every March 6th on the anniversary of her death. On that day, all public museums and ancient monuments are open to the public for free, just the way Melina would have wanted it. Remembering her on the 25th anniversary of her death in 2019, Greek news agenda said, The charismatic actress, activist, and politician still has a strong presence in Greece. Melina Mercouri is one of the most influential women of Greece in the 20th century. The Greek reporter in its article on Melina by Tassos Kokinidis said, "Mercouri loved Greece so much that she epitomized the Hellenic spirit, becoming its ambassador worldwide. Our sources page lists a lot of interesting articles about Melina and the colonel's coup, but check out the Melina Mercouri Foundation for lists of her movies, plays, recordings, and a few of the speeches we mentioned today. Thanks for listening and indulging me in this four-part series. Greek Like Me is a Stealth Greek production. This episode was researched, written, and narrated by me, your host, Pamela Daoides-Wood. Our producer, photographer, and post-production editor is Douglas John. Thank you, thank you, Eduardo Gill, for your help in finding... Uh, some of the information that backed up knowing the stories. Visit our website at stealthcreek.com for resources, photos, links, and more. Please rate, like, and subscribe. It helps us get noticed so we can keep making content about Greeks and Greek culture. We'll be taking a break from the podcast for the rest of August. We'll see you back here in September for episodes about icons, the tragedy of Smyrna, and Greek superstitions that are still a part of our everyday life find Greek Like Me on Facebook or on Instagram at greek underscore like underscore me. See you next time in September. Yassas.